Hello, and welcome to This Speech Life, a weekly audio course and podcast from SpeechTherapyPD.com, exploring all things related to school-based SLP practice. I'm your host, Caitlin Lopez, MSCCC SLP, a pediatric SLP with 10 years experience in the school setting. Each week, we will cover three need-to-know aspects of that episode topic, two resources related to the topic, and one actionable strategy for tomorrow. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's podcast episode for This Speech Life. I am really excited about this episode because it goes along so nicely with last week. Last week, we had Dr. Elise Davis-McFarland And she talked about the importance of parent engagement. And so today we're really going to dive in with the amazing Serena Merle to talk about parent engagement and just how to do it. If you guys don't already know Serena, I am so excited to introduce her to all of you in just a moment. But before we do that, there's a few housekeeping items. As always, just a reminder at the conclusion of today's course, please log into your course portal and complete all modules, especially the one entitled quiz to get your live CEUs for today. All right, before we begin, I'm just going to report our financial and non-financial disclosures. I am Caitlin Lopez, the podcast host for This Speech Life, and I receive compensation for this episode. I have no relevant non-financial relationships to report. Serena, is the owner of the Airplane Spoon, and she also receives an honorarium for appearing as a guest on the podcast episode. There are no relevant non-financial relationships for Serena to report. All right. So Serena is a multilingual medical speech language pathologist with 15 plus years as an educator and 10 plus years working in medical operations for cleft lip, palate, children's hospitals and NICU and PICU and outpatient feeding clinics, autism centers, home-based early intervention and public schools across the U.S., Ecuador and China. Serena is the founder and director of the Airplane Spoon, a private practice for babies, children, and parents in feeding, communication, and coaching. And if you have not taken any of her courses on speechtherapypd.com, I highly recommend them. And also, she is on Instagram, and she's a wealth of resources there as well. All right, Serena, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Caitlin. I'm very happy and excited to be here today. Awesome. So let's just jump right in. What are three things that we need to know about parent engagement? Okay. So I think that when we think about parent engagement, we can also expand and first challenge the concept to go beyond and think about family engagement because every child is living within a family system and a family unit. And that could be extended to siblings or grandparents or other family members or close people that live in the home or pets. And so family in itself is where I'm going to be focusing as well as thinking about parents as those direct decision makers over the children and the students that we support But the three things that I want us to focus on thinking about family engagement is thinking about first that weak family school relationships stem from poor communication, 
making assumptions, and not feeling welcomed or supported. So from there, strong family school connections are established when families feel confident about how to provide their children support for learning, when communication is two-way, and when goals and supports are co-constructed. And we can talk about all these concepts. And then the last thing that every school SLP should know about family engagement is how to reach out and connect to families is a learned process. This is something that we can learn and we can practice, especially through systems, which can get stronger and feel more natural and comfortable. Awesome. Thank you so much for that. And I really appreciate your having us kind of shift our mindset on family engagement. You know, I know that a lot of my, a lot of my students, when I was working in the school system, it might be grandma who's coming to the IEP. It might be auntie, or it might be the foster guardian. And so I think that that is a really important thing for us to remember and to think about. And I also love how you included pets too. You know, (laughs) pets are very important to our children. They're important to me and my household. So of course they're going to be important to our children too. And so I also really liked how you created that continuum for us of weak to strong, you know, and what constitutes a weak relationship between home and school and what constitutes a strong relationship between home and school. And especially that piece of two-way communication, I think that that is something that I know is, is difficult sometimes to get. I might send a text or an email or a phone call a little too late, and it's always my ideas. So I think that's always a good reminder of it's a two-way street and we need to get, be open and create systems. Like you said, you know, your third part about systems of creating those systems where families feel supported to us wanting to hear their ideas as well. And I love that you brought up the point that we can learn this. We can get better at it. It's not just a, oh, that's my weak area. I'll never get this, but that we can learn how to do it. So thank you for that. Yes, of course. And I think that's a very important reminder because while I've encountered many professionals in education systems or medical systems feeling that collaborating or dealing with or having to interact with parents is one of their biggest areas of challenge. And if we think about our professional skills, they were weak and then we strengthened them and learned tools and strategies and helped us to feel more confident and reach out for support when needed. And so just like that, our interactions with families is an integral part of our professional responsibilities. And that is something that can be learned. Absolutely. Absolutely. I want to comment on something that you said just a little bit, this idea of dealing with or handling parents, Yeah, you know, and how, how that is such an important thing to think about how we, we think about our parents, just like it's an important thing to think about how we think about our students or our children that we work with. You know, I think that that you didn't necessarily, you made that point, you know, maybe shifting our mindset on some problem parents. I know it's been helpful for me to think, okay, we both love this kid. 
or we both want the same thing for this kid, which is something that Dr. Davis McFarland shared or Dr. McFarland Davis shared last week about how a good way to connect with families on that. But I think that's always a good reminder. You know, sometimes we might have families who don't see eye to eye, or maybe there's things that they're requesting that we may not be able to provide in the school system for whatever reason, or they might have, you know, the poor school, you know, home bound relationship, you know, might impact the way that we see them and how can we shift that mindset? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm glad you brought it up, Caitlin. I think it's really important that we are extremely intentional with the vocabulary that we use as perception and either closeness of building connection and community or separation by putting up walls or barriers can be as simple as the vocabulary that we use. So to say that, oh, this is a problem family, this is a difficult family, or oh, they're just so, they don't have any clue, they don't know what their child needs, that mentality is very closed-minded. And it's also very much just feeling annoyed and bothered because of our, what that means. Necessarily. Like I would, I would challenge people to sit with that for a second and say, why is that coming up? Where is that coming up for you? And people and parents especially are not inherently like problems or <laughs> wanting and, and always feeling like things have to be difficult or negative. Uh, you, you know, you mentioned it, that we're not seeing eye to eye or there's some miscommunication here. And so really getting at the heart of it comes from validation, vulnerability and honesty in order for us to actually create a connection. So then that can foster this co-construction or this two-way communication. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for that. You know, it's just the same way that we respond to the students or the kids that we're working with. If we shift our mindset and think, okay, how can we help foster this relationship that I have with them so that we can have more productive sessions and more fun for everyone? It's the same way with with our parents. And I do remember when I was in grad school, I had volunteered, had done some, you know, a little bit of like substitute teaching and for a local school. And then I remember in grad school, I was scared to death of my adult rotations or my adult field work. And then I realized, oh no, it's parents that I'm scared of. It's not these adults. But then I had to tackle that and sit with that. Why am I afraid of these parents? You know, what is it? And so, so I'm excited for the resources that you have to share with us. For those that might be feeling that same way of when they first start out, or maybe they've been in the field 20 years and they're still afraid of parents. And so what resources do you have for us for connecting with our families? Yes. Well, before getting into these two specific resources that I want to share with everyone, I want to highlight, you had said you, it helps you to think about, you know, we both love and care for this child. And, and coming at it in that way. And I think that's a nice perspective to consider, like, you're not fighting different battles here. <laughs> but I think even more for us to get into, I think the biggest resource is this resource of perspective. And if you can think about if this was your child, if you are a parent, 
or if it's not, if it was your niece or nephew, or if it was a young person that you really care about, maybe a friend's child or something. But if this was your child, wouldn't you want to be involved? Wouldn't you want to learn everything that you could do to best support your child at home? Wouldn't you ask all of these questions? Because I know I would. I absolutely would. And so when we hear, when we work with a parent that's asking these questions, then if we put ourselves in that perspective, if this was my child, then we can appreciate and say, thank you. Thank you for those questions. Or, you know, this is amazing that you want to really understand and be so involved. And we're validating that effort as opposed to feeling annoyed by it. And and not thinking that it's creating more work for us, thinking that, okay, we are both on a mission to help support this child the best way possible. And so as just a very, you know, visualization perspective resource, always trying to keep in mind and putting in perspective, what if this was my child? How would I react in this situation? And then getting into two very specific resources that I refer to time and time again. And there are not a lot of resources out there, actually. I, I'm quite caught myself because this isn't something that's necessarily taught to us in our grad school programs. It's not taught to teachers in, in their formal education about how to best engage and collaborate with families and parents. And so There are limited resources available, and some of the resources are actually focused more on a direct parent support, thinking of those early years, and I don't think that those should be overlooked. One of my go-to resources, and it doesn't necessarily have to be age-restricted, even though you might work with middle schoolers or high schoolers or even a day program for, you know, 18 to 23 year olds, if they're in an extended special needs program. But one of the best resources that I look at is is called NAIC. It's the National Association for the Education of Young Children. And so N-A-E-Y-C is the acronym. But if we think about this, this is focused on young children. However, their resources related to family engagement or parent engagement are tremendously helpful. They have different online PDF downloads about family engagement. They also have some books. Some of it might be focused more on the educator side, but we can also think about that as collaborating since we're thinking about the school SLP supports. And there are a lot of commonalities and overlapping concepts for educators, teachers as the primary academic team, and then the support staff for the IEPs and how we also can collaborate and support our teachers as well. But it's really focusing on that these children are not so low deal. They're always a package program. They always come with their family and that all of the research that they have produced and that they have analyzed across, you know, different universities and different countries is that whenever a family 
feels involved in part of the process, the outcomes, the benefits of not only the child's progress, but then that entire program as a whole and the staff of really feeling like they're more supported or that there's just a greater purpose. When we talk about burnout, I don't think it's workload. I think it's lack of validation. It's lack of purpose. It's lack of kind of impact. And so having families involved is going to support in so many different ways at the individual level, at the family level, at the employee level, at the school level, and then just at the community level as a whole. And so looking at some of the resources through this NAEYC, National Association for the Education of Young Children, would be my first resource recommendation. Awesome. Thank you. And then my second resource recommendation related to this is actually a very thorough toolkit that's been put out by the California Department of Education. And this doesn't necessarily mean it's only pertaining to school SLPs working in California, but being that California is one of the largest states of for education and for IEPs and for SLPs just in size, they have a lot of resource and data that they have compiled this very thorough family engagement toolkit. And so if if anyone listening were to just do a search for family engagement toolkit by California Department of Education, you'll see that there's two, there's a PDF document that goes through a lot of really helpful tips. And it goes through kind of like what doesn't work or in a weak system, kind of like how I highlighted at the beginning, or then how to get to a strong system. And it thinks about it for the family level and then the educator or the individual level as in this case for us thinking as SLPs. And then it goes to a more system level for that school system itself or the district itself. And there's great conversations that could also be opened up with our administrators. And how do we help incorporate this as systems or through different, you know, policies or just standard expectations that occur with everyone. So it's not one person making all this effort and feeling like nobody else is also on the same page, which I think can also be challenging for some people that I do this, but nobody else does. Absolutely. Absolutely. I didn't even know about the CDE having a toolkit. So I'm excited about that. And to, like you said, definitely sharing with administrators too, because Mm -hmm. I mean, there were a lot of takeaways from the pandemic, but something that was really ingrained in me is how integral the school is to a community. You know, that was, that was huge in that families were coming to the school for resources, families were, you know, that was the one place that could be open a certain amount of time and teachers would show up and, you know, and I would show up to give resources or to be there, you know, even for those meal pickups, just to say hi. And then you would hear from families how important the school was just to have that spot to go and to stand six feet away from each other and to say hi to the other families, you know, families communicating to each other, families communicating to teachers and 
And so that is really cool to think about how do we strengthen our, our communication as a system and not just on that individual level. So I'm excited about that. Are you taking advantage of the certificate tracker? Not only does it store your certificates from all of your evidence-based and practical courses from speechtherapypd.com, but you can also upload certificates earned from other CE providers. It's the easiest way to store and keep track of your CEUs. Just another perk of membership. Yeah, there's lots of different systems that can be put in place. And I think that what works best in terms of support from an organizational standpoint is when it's just standardized and it's done the same way for everybody. And then then that naturally becomes part of those conversations and part of that shift because this is just how we do things. This is how we do it here. And if it's especially supported from a top down, then it becomes an expectation for any new staff that are coming on board because then they're going to be raised to that level of of standard or expectation. And from a bottom up, it's tricky because then how do you pull everyone up when you have to also complete all of your responsibilities and your work as well? And so the CDE, California Department of Education, has this, like I mentioned, there's a PDF, which is like 70 page PDF, which is amazing. But then they have a downloadable Word document that has these questions that you can fill out, or it has like rating scales for you to rate your own systems or your school's systems that could be editable in terms of a working document. So then it can immediately be put into practice or play instead of just receiving a lot of information from the PDF, but not having the questions or the next steps of how to put it into play. Absolutely. That's awesome. I'm, I'm grateful to know about that piece of it too, about how to evaluate your current systems and create them to be stronger. That's really awesome. Thank you for sharing those. And like you said, you know, even though it is the first one for early children or young children, we can still use those same concepts and ideas to work with any of our clients across any age group. So thank you for sharing that one as well, because I think that that one might've been harder for us to find if we do work with middle school students, or if we do work with high school students, I would never have thought to search for something that is geared towards young children, but yet the concepts are still the same. Right. And it's like as a society, for some reason, we think that parents are so involved. If you think about if you have your own kids or if you're, brother or sister, just know somebody with young kids, then, you know, in daycare, you're getting all this information about what did they eat? And, you know, did they poop or all these things? So much information about what we did. And we played with these activities. You get all these pictures about everything they did or in preschool, similarly, but then this shift happens that once a child then becomes a student in this K-12 program, It's like this passing over of the baton from the parents to the school staff. And oftentimes the communication just gets lost or, you know, it fades. And I think in in many ways, both sides are wishing it were better, but they're not expressing it the same way. It's like, you know, the school staff is feeling like, oh, we wish we had better communication from the families. And the families are like, oh, we wish we had better communication from the school side. And yet 
you're both wishing the same thing. And so just realizing that and recognizing that just because a child is now a kindergartner or a middle schooler doesn't mean that those parents are any less involved. You know, parents are the ultimate deciders for their children until they're adults. And in many cases, parents are still influencing and supporting us as adults. I know I call my dad frequently and share with him different things about what does he think and help to inform and guide me because we hold that level of, you know, trust and guidance and everything from our parents for our life. Our teachers are there to support us, but our teachers are a temporary part of the impact in our lives, but our parents are lifelong in many cases. Thank you for that. And you made an interesting point that I've never considered before. You were talking about how, you know, in preschool or daycare, you're getting a rundown, you know, daycare, you're getting a rundown of, oh, they wet their diaper this many times. They ate this. They played this game with Bobby. And then, oh, I'm really sorry, Jillian hit them. But, you know, it's okay. There's no marks. I saw it happen. You know, you get this full narrative of the day. And then preschool, you might get a little bit less, but still some same information. And then you get less and less information. And as a parent, I'm starting to think I'm not to this level yet. My little one turns a year next week. So, you know, I'm thinking about how, okay, that must be really anxiety ridden in a sense of, well, what happened? You know, I I got this, I'm used to all of this information. And now I'm getting just a little bit information and especially, you know, the older or the the younger our students are, or we are going to have students with communication difficulties. So they're not going to be able to tell us like, Hey, how was your day today? And they're good. Okay. So what happened? I don't know, <laughs> you know, and it's like, I can see how that for some families might cause a lot of anxiety to have a lot. I will continue. I don't know if, okay, good. You can hear. So it looks like maybe her computer died or something. So I'll continue. And, you know, she's commenting on this about just the amount of reduced information as a child gets older. The other thing is, is our systems, especially the school systems for communication with parents is often designed to inform parents when there's something wrong, when there's a problem. And this is something I've talked about in a previous webinar course that I have with speechtherapypd.com and thinking about family and parent communication and collaboration in that if you're thinking about you as a parent or even when you were a child, if the teacher called or the principal called and said, you know, we want to talk to you about your child. What's your first thought is what's wrong? What happened? What'd you do? And it's wrong. It's something that's going wrong. And so, and this is what our system has perpetuated in that communication only happens when we need to inform of a problem. And so I'd like for you to think about and challenge, what if you got a phone call from a teacher or from a parent in the webinar, the course that I did that talks about this a little bit more, but it is thinking about, you know, what if you shared successes at, you know, in the preschool daycare level, you're hearing all these things like, oh yeah, he shared today his toy back and forth or you know, she played tag with the kids at recess. 
by sharing successes, by sharing positive, we're also starting to shift and we're helping parents to see the joy, the progress, the, the skills of their child that they don't see because they drop their kids off or the kids get picked up and they go to school. And so we can also start to challenge just the way that we communicate. All right, I'm going to read a comment I have here from Jennifer. She said, I have a, had a highly litigious parent who asked for weekly reports on their child. Though it added extra work, she was noticeably less stressed every time I communicated with her because she felt like she knew what was going on with her son. Okay, so let's think about this. Every time we hear the word somebody's contentious or litigious with their gut, legal advisory involved, or maybe they have a parent advocate or a family advocate, everyone gets scared as like, we're, you know, being watched or, you know, our every move, or they're going to hold this against us. But the way that we act and the way that we communicate and the way that we provide or offer services shouldn't look any different, whether that family has legal action or family advocate involved or not. That's truly equitable care and ethical care because it shouldn't change. So whether they have, that's just a piece of information, but okay, we hear that. And then, okay, we're kind of put our guard up. All right. They're going to get in a fight. But if we ask ourselves, I don't think that every parent is like, I want to get a lawyer. So what got them there in the first place is a really important question. What have they gone through to feel like the only way that they're going to have their voices heard is if they have a lawyer attached to them. Probably something pretty challenging that they've gone through before. And that might not have been a one with you. It might not have been at your current school. And that might has nothing to do with necessarily your support or your program. But we can have empathy for that family as well. If they are a litigious or contentious or advocate family. Okay, so back to Jennifer's comment. She's saying that they ask for weekly reports on their child and we feel like this is a lot more work for us, right? Well, there's systems and there's automation and we have technology that can really help us so that if this is something that then is decided and maybe this is part of the IEP and then because there's a lawyer involved and we have to, you know, agree to whatever these expectations of communication are established. Well, if you're taking your session notes or if there's a way to have that, then, you know, is there a way to automatize or to schedule send or to have it just immediately you know, the same format and, and talking to the parent and say, you know, this is the notes that I have from our session and that I will share with you. And then that's just share. There's no extra, I mean, maybe there's like 30 seconds or a minute of extra work, but it could just be in that sense, not needing to then re-explain or recreate because if you're explaining upfront about how your notes look or, or how you're taking data or that session summary, then that's what's shared. And then oftentimes I feel like it's not necessarily the checking off the boxes of sending those emails. It's the opening up the questions and inviting and asking for the parents' feedback and the parents' help and support. So I have a couple of questions that I 
how we formulate those questions, I think, can help set up that co-construction collaboration that we can talk about as well. You're back, Caitlin. Hi. I am. I am. I don't know. We have just crazy hot weather down here in Southern California. So I don't know if that's impacting my internet or what's going on, but thank you everyone. And thank you for, for taking the, the lead there and answering that question. I appreciate that. So what I'm gathering is I think we're ready for our one actionable strategy. Yes. Okay. So hard. And I probably want to share more than one. <laughs> That's okay. That is great. If it were just one, then how can you create, it could be an email. It could be a printed piece of paper. It could be a Google form. If you feel comfortable or, you know, know how to use those cloud-based platforms, but a standardized four question survey or you know piece of information for families to ask them and this could be something that could be sent you know two weeks before progress reports or something so that their input can also be integrated or somehow referred in progress reports because I think that in terms of progress reports for IEPs and everything we often underestimate how much value families and parents are putting on that information. And oftentimes if they're seeing my child's making progress, making progress, and then no progress, there's all this concern and worry that comes up, but maybe it's really just like, you know, to what extent or effort or how are we writing those progress reports? Is it to check off boxes or is it really to share information with families? So this four question form, and in this, my, my recommendation, but this is standardized and you can do schedule send. I've talked about this also in previous webinars and trainings, but if you're using a Google Gmail based email platform, which most schools do, you can click next to the send. There's like this little up arrow that says schedule send, and you can schedule it at the beginning of the year to send to all the families on October 1st, on February 1st on May 1st, and it, it just sends it. And you don't ever have to just click and send it all one by one. But the questions that I recommend would be number one, what progress in, you know, it could just be in speech, or what progress have you seen in your child since it could be the start of the year, or it could be the previous progress report or this quarter or something like that, you can put a time period there. But what progress have you seen in your child? So first, we're highlighting the strengths. So, 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 so important to start with the strengths. Because like I just mentioned before, oftentimes our systems are designed to only communicate problems and challenges. So when we highlight the strengths, we are shifting and we're saying, hey, your child is making progress. Your child is doing lots of great things. So first find those. And then second could be what concerns do you still have? Now you're getting direct feedback and it could be related to speech or communication if you want to make it more specific because it might say like math. <laughs> I mean, you could share that with the teachers, but how does this help support for our IEP support? So what progress have you seen? What concerns do you still have? How can I support you more? As number three, 
how can I support you more? Meaning, I am here to support you. And I need your input, you as the expert of your child, me as the expert on speech and communication development. I need your input. How can I help you more? And then number four could be, what questions do you have for me to open that up? But I use this and I have been using this for like the last eight years in thinking of getting this immediate, simple, but it could be a lot of input back, which is great. It could be very little, but parents know you're there. Now working on the private practice side and supporting a lot of children that do have IEPs in the school systems, I hear a lot from parents that they never hear from their school SOP. Or maybe they heard from them the first month of school and then they never heard from them. They just got the progress reports. And so even at a bare minimum, if this was something that came out three times a year, and it could be a mass email. But parents are seeing that. They're seeing your name. And the other thing about this, it's not, I mean, the the questions are authentic. When we have open questions, how can I help you? What questions do you have for me? It's not, do you have any questions? And I've mentioned this before as a strategy. Do you have any questions? You're going to get a no. Because people don't like to put themselves out there because it makes it feel like they should know when they don't. What questions do you have for me means I know you have questions. So please share them with me. And it opens up this co-construction for parents and families to feel more engaged, to feel like they're an integral part, and that they're not just there. We have this question on the IEPs, right? Do you feel like the school or the district supported, facilitated your involvement in the process development of this IEP? Well, if you've never reached out to them before the IEP was issued, I would have a hard time as a parent saying yes, even though they just check the box because they have to. And they're not going to necessarily say no, because most people aren't very confrontational. They don't want to be confrontational and they don't want this to negatively affect their children and the services their children receive. So oftentimes they might have concerns, they might have questions, and they're not bringing them up because it's hard. It's hard to ask questions, but when we invite them, what we're doing and what we're saying is that I want to know, and you're important, and you're part of this. And what I find is that when we do that, all of this litigious, contentious, challenge energy just fades because we're saying, hey, you're right. We, we need more support. You're right. When they come at you and like, I need this, I need this, I need this, you're right. How can we do that together? How can we put this in together? Yes, I know. And I've been there many, many times. Your parents were like, we want five times a week speech, right? We want speech every day because communication is our biggest area of concern. They don't understand necessarily, and they're not expected to understand that the way that services are designed and everything around least restricted environment and that we're not supposed to be pulling kids out of their classrooms all the time because they're there to be students first and foremost is a conversation. It's not like, well, that's impossible and we can't do that. It's let me inform you and let me share with you that this is how we make decisions and this is how we're supporting your child to be a successful student 
in the classroom. And so that was a lot of information right now <laughs> about the one actionable strategy for tomorrow. But really, it's thinking about a very simple four question little survey or form or email or printed paper that shows parents that you care, that you want to know, and that you're there to also support them. Absolutely. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I do have a note. Serena has said that most schools use Gmail. It's also available on Outlook as well, because after taking one of Serena's courses, I started utilizing it. And our school districts, the ones that I've worked for the last two used Outlook, and Mm -hmm. it is a feature on Outlook as well. So if you are an Outlook user, you can utilize that too. And Serena, something that you mentioned, I really like your actionable strategy of just sending that question survey, you know, whether it's a text or an email or a note home. I appreciate that because... I know that we've talked a lot about litigious parents or parents that are requesting a lot of things and are maybe who we view as too involved, which I don't think that's true. I don't think a parent can either, unless a parent, you know, wants to run your speech session for you and they don't have their master's in communication sciences and disorders, that's probably maybe a too involved parent. But on the flip side, parents who come across as maybe not being involved enough. And that has been an issue, not an issue, but something that I've really tried to get at the heart at the last two districts that I've been a part of have been, and especially the schools that I've serviced have been low engagement families. And so I really like your survey because we can utilize it, whether with those highly involved families, that there might be some, some friction there or the low engagement families where there's just no energy. And I think that that's helpful for opening up those communication lines with those low engagement families as well. Yeah. Are you looking to move up on the pay scale? You can through speechtherapypd.com in collaboration with University of the Pacific. Start earning graduate level credits today. Courses are evidence-based and practical. Win-win. Check out speechtherapypd.com for more information on earning graduate level credits. When we think about low engagement, we, you know, we do need to kind of understand what might be those barriers or factors of less communication or less involvement. And it might not be intentional on the parent's side. And in this, I want to recognize and share that by sending an email of a written form or printout paper or even a text message, we're assuming literacy skills, and that we can also recognize that some families and some parents do not have the same level of written skills as they do verbal skills. And so if there's a way to have a phone call, and just call them, I mean, I I think that we underutilize this very amazing tool called the telephone, and just picking up the phone and calling. And oftentimes, I would just say, you know, I will say like, hey, this is Serena, your son's speech therapist. I just want to check in with you for like five minutes. Is this a good time to talk? And then if they're like, oh, okay, yeah, that's fine. Or if they're like, no, I said, okay, when can I call you in the next day or two? And so there's like a already agreed upon, I'm going to call you back. 
And so, and that shows like, Hey, this is important. You're important. I want to talk to you. If you haven't gotten it back, if you maybe know that this parent's literacy skills might be less of a written skill, that there's still the phone. (laughs) And if you're saying, well, maybe families do not have a high English level, and this is also a very common reality, and I've definitely done some presentations about supporting our limited English-speaking families and collaborating with interpreters. But even using text message and even a Google Translate for something like this could be very powerful. Oftentimes, and while maybe not everything can, can translate, but it's still saying, hey, I'm here for you. I want to understand and be part of that. And there are tools and technology that can support us and help us reach them, even if verbally, not so much. And of course, when it's anything that is using a required legal written document, we need to have certified interpreters present. But in little questions like this back and forth, or setting up a time with an interpreter to have a little conversation, using Google Translate, sending a text could be just as effective. And it also shows that parent that they are important, which oftentimes, especially for our limited English speaking families, they're often pushed outside of the system because of language, which doesn't necessarily mean that's where they want to be, but that's what they know of that could just be what they expect because it hasn't ever been supported differently to be more involved. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, you, you brought up several things that really resonated with me. The first is finding the barrier. I remember, I think I was about three, four years in as an SLP and this parent kept no showing the IEPs. She kept no showing, no showing. And she showed up to school to pick up one of her children that was sick. And she said, can we just, and I happened to be in the office when she came and she said, well, can't we just have the IEP right now with just you? I mean, you're here. Can you do it? And I said, no, we actually have to have everybody here. And she said, I hate them. I always feel like I'm in trouble when the principal's in the room. Yep. And I was like, oh yeah, that makes sense. You know, if you've grown up going to the principal's office, or I mean, I also know a lot of our kids end up getting these negative phone calls home. And so that right there changed my practice where every week I make three positive phone calls home. Wow. You know, just to, Hey, and I, but it's like you said, it's systems. We set up these systems. So Wednesdays are my parent engagement day, family engagement day of, okay, this is the time in my schedule that I'm going to do this. And most of the time, I mean, my families, and I try to hit every kid by the end of the year Mm -hmm. with those three phone calls home. You know, some families, it's a hard time. It's hard to get a hold of them. Another thing that you brought up was limited English speaking families and Starbucks and chocolate bars go a long way with school staff. You know, if, if there's an paraeducator on campus that speaks Spanish, I might, hey, are you free this Wednesday to help me with a phone call? And they're so short to check in with families. Mm-hmm. The last school that I was at, there were three paraeducators in the SDC classroom that we shared a door. And so they would, once they realized that I would bring them Starbucks or chocolate, they would fight over who got to come on Wednesday, which was awesome. They're like, oh, I can do it. I can do it. Yeah. And then, you know, somebody else, oh, well, you did it last week. You know, let me do it this week. And so that was helpful. I love how you're validating them too, Caitlin, because I think oftentimes, and and I 
you know, set out a word of caution for bilingual providers because they will often be asked to do all these little extra jobs, which then do take away from other things that they have, especially maybe if they're not even hired as a bilingual provider, but then it word gets out that, hey, this person speaks this other language. And then can you make this phone call? Can you do this? Can you help me with this? And then that's not what their job is. And I think people are often wanting to help And so they'll do it. But I love that you are validating and recognizing that that is above and beyond the expectation of the staff members to help you to make a phone call or something. And so you're rewarding them with their little treats. (laughs) Well, and, you know, the the last district that I was at, we had eight hour days and the rest of the school had the six and a half or seven hour days. I don't remember. And so I would, oh, this is a great question. So I would often ask them to do it after the school day because that's when I would make my positive phone calls home. Celeste asked a great question. What about confidentiality with texting from your own phone? Communicating through the school system. Google program protects confidentiality, correct? I would feel uncomfortable with texting with my own phone unless I had access to a private HIPAA type protected texting service. That is a great question, Celeste. I, when I text families, I never use the child's name and I never use the parent's name. And so, and I also let them know like that that's what we're doing. And I also use my Google voice phone number. I never text from my own phone number either. Do you have anything else, Serena, that you would add to that? I think it, this also should come from, you know, a systems or administrator support. And I think, you know, bringing this question up with your administrators, with your special ed director to say, Hey, what do you recommend so that then that also becomes a that it's brought up and, and to their awareness that this is something that is possible. And, you know, in today's day and age, most people don't answer their phone when they get a phone call. <laughs> They'll screen it. And I don't know that number. I'm not going to answer it. A lot of people don't even leave voicemails. So texting is a very new. I mean, it, it should be more of an accepted even formal communication method as a for families, especially because just how generations are changing. And, you know, we're going to have parents that are born in, you know, 2000 and grew up with this technology age. And so our communication also needs to change as technology and standards change. But so I think for me, actually, when the pandemic hit and everything went into shutdown and all the schools closed. I did text with my own phone and I had a lot of limited English speaking families and I I speak Spanish. And so by reaching out to them and having that be a resource for them. And I told them, save my number. If something comes up and just like you said at the beginning, Caitlin, like even the concept of schools as this community support and family support, I had families saying like, I can't find diapers or wipes for my child. And so I, you know, I shared that with the school and the school staff and families were amazing. And they put together this care package and we were able to go take it with them. But so sometimes, and this was my comfort level, you know, I shared that with them. And if they texted me at eight o'clock at night, I wouldn't respond until the next day. If they wanted to try call me on the weekend, I would send them a text and say, I will call you on Monday. 
and to share with them. I'm not available 24 seven, even though you have my number, because I didn't have a school phone number I could call from like, you know, a landline phone at the school when we were all on lockdown. And there is Google voice out there, but also being sure if it's a Google voice that comes through. And like you said, you don't use their names or anything. So there is no PHI associated, which is very smart for being FERPA compliant. HIPAA compliant is for medical based and FERPA is for schools. But asking your school, could I could I get a Google voice number through my school email and have it? And it would just send you an email if a text came through. So it's a really good thought and that I think it's at every person's discretion, but it should be brought up at the administrator level. I think, yes, I absolutely agree with you. And I know, you know, especially I had never really texted families before the pandemic because we did have a, my school previous to the one that I was at during the pandemic, just a few years before that, there was, we had a cell phone in the office that Mm. would text families. And so if you needed to send a text message, you just go ask the receptionist to send it. And it was a school cell phone number. But, you know, it was usually at that point, it was just like, hey, remind you to come to the IEP or whatever. But I don't know how they did that since I wasn't the one there. But that is a great question as to how you text families. I haven't ever texted families, you know, these types of survey questions. But I think it's because I've had, I might text a family and say, hey, I'm going to call you to get this information just because the answers are a little bit lengthy for a text message. But, but those are great questions. Mm-hmm. All right. I can't believe this time has just flown by, Serena. Yes. Uh, just- why don't you go ahead and recap your three, two, one for us? Okay. So three, two, one, three things every school-based SLP should know about family engagement is that weak family school relationships come from poor communication, making assumptions, or not feeling welcome or supported. But strong family school relationships are established when families feel confident about how to provide their child support for learning. Communication is two-way and that the goals and supports are co-constructed. And the last thing is about reaching out to and connecting families can be learned and that we can use systems to get stronger and feel more comfortable and natural about how to reach out and communicate with parents. Number two, my three, two, one. So two is two resources related to family engagement. And I shared the first resource is NAYEC as an organization, the National Association for the Education of Young Children. Even though it is focused on the younger years, we can continue to think that parents are going to continue with children as they grow through elementary, middle, and high school, and that parents are an integral role in the decisions and support for our students. And the second resource is the Family Engagement Toolkit that has been made by the California Department of Education. And that has a PDF and an editable Word document template to think about how to evaluate and really look at your own individual supports for family engagement and at a more 
organizational, single school or district level support on the administrative side as well. And the one actionable strategy for tomorrow is to create that short four question parent form asking them, number one, what progress have you seen? Number two, what concerns do you still have? Number three, how can I support you more? And number four, what questions do you have for me? That can be used as a schedule send in your email. It could be done right before progress reports. And so families feel like their input is being heard and valuable and part of that, or especially before IEPs, so that they are getting their concerns, their progress, their feedback out. And we are involving them intentionally and collaboratively in the support and IEP process of their child. Awesome. Thank you. You know, as we're talking, I can almost hear some SLPs, especially school-based ones with ginormous caseloads, like, how am I going to find the time to do this? Where's the time going to come from? But as I'm thinking about how I've started to, you know, I might've started small with how I've reached out to families and how that's kind of snowballed because success begets success, but how it's really impacted the IEP process. And IEPs seem so much shorter now because the information is not new to families. It's almost like, okay, here we are, we're signing the paperwork. We already know all of this that's happening because of the strong communication support that we've Mm -hmm. created. And so I really encourage all of you to take Serena's words to heart. And I know that she didn't mention these as resources, but I highly, highly recommend taking her webinars on speech therapy PD. They're the, especially the limited English language or the limited English speaking families engagement one is really great for thinking about how to work with those families. And yeah, I just, I know she didn't mention those as resources, but they are there for you to engage as well. All right. Well, if you have any other questions, we have just a few more moments. So if you do have a question for Serena about about collaborating with families, please pop that in. I am really grateful, Serena, for the work that you've provided us and, you know, the different things that you've provided, whether it's here for speechtherapypd.com or for Kasha. I know she's a she presented quite a few presentations for Kasha this last year. And so if you are California-based, definitely be on the lookout for her. And I just want to thank you all so much for joining us today. We The next two weeks are going to be pre-recorded, but they will be available on speechtherapypd.com and on all the different podcast platforms. And then we will be back live in three weeks with Kristen Barba to talk about the cycles approach. So everyone is sharing their thanks. Thank you everyone for joining us. And thank you, thank you, thank you to Serena for just giving us a lot of great things to think about and easy ways to implement. All right, everyone. Thank you and see you soon. Thank you, Caitlin, for having me. And thanks to speechtherapypd.com for again, inviting me to share As always, it's been a pleasure and I appreciate the thoughtful comments and questions and looking forward to collaborating again soon. Thanks for joining us at This Speech Life. Remember to go to speechtherapypd.com to learn more about earning ASHA CEUs. 
We appreciate your positive reviews and support and would love for you to write a quick review and subscribe.